Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. This morning, our text of Scripture comes from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. Jesus has now entered Jerusalem, and he's there for the festival, but he's not the only one there for the festival. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Well, Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and Where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It's for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we have come to hear your word. So quiet within us any voice but your own. And speak to us now as only a living God can. For we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I suspect that from the years in which I've been your pastor, when St. Patrick's Day comes around, you've come to expect a little something from the Irish. So I want to tell you a story that perhaps you've heard before, but an Irishman walks into a bar in Dublin. He orders three pints of Guinness and sits in the back room. He drinks a sip from each of the glasses in turn. And when he finishes them, he comes back to the bar and he orders three more. The bartender asks him, you know, a pint goes flat after I draw it. It tastes much better if you ordered them one at a time. And the Irishman replies, oh, well, you see, I have two brothers. 
One lives in America and the other in Australia, and I'm here in Dublin. When we left home, we promised that we'd drink this way to remember the days when we drank together. The uh, bartender kind of has to admit this is a nice custom, so he leaves it there, and the Irishman becomes a regular at the bar, and he always drinks the same way. He orders three pints and drinks sip after sip, one from each in turn. One day he comes in, he orders two pints. All the other regulars at the bar notice and they fall silent. He goes, and when he comes back to the bar for the second round, the bartender says, look, I don't want to intrude on your grief, but I want to offer my condolences on your great loss. And the Irishman looks confused for a moment, and then he says, oh, no, no, no. My brothers are just fine. I've just quit drinking. Now, many of you know I have two brothers, two Irish brothers, and my younger brother is the best storyteller of the bunch, but he has the best stories to tell because he's an Irish policeman, a major with the Minnesota State Patrol. Some of you have heard this story before. He just has more exciting stories to tell than his two brothers. On one occasion, he helped the light come on for a particularly young man that was in trouble. It was late in his shift, and a car sped past him with a young man in the driver's seat. And when my brother put the license plate into the database, it showed evidence of a restricted license, which usually means you're allowed only to drive to and from work. So my brother, Major O'Grady, wondered where this young man was going at this time of day, so he pulled him over. And a check revealed that the boy was driving beyond the restriction on his license, which he had received for a DUI, driving under the influence. And once he was in the back seat of the squad car, the boy asked to make a phone call to his father, who it turns out was a policeman in a small town in the area. Then the negotiating began. Dad was trying to get his son off of yet another violation, and one could only wonder how many times that scenario had played out before. My brother, Major O'Grady, listened respectfully, made it clear that there was no deal to be made with the father, and then decided it was time to give this young man his 30-second civics lesson in the back seat of his squad car. He turned to the young man and he said, there are several billion of us that live on this planet together and we've decided that we need to live by certain rules. I can't take your things, you can't hurt my sister. We put stop signs at intersections so we don't run into each other. And if you decide you don't want to play by the rules the rest of us have agreed to and established, we have a problem. You're a danger to yourself, but more importantly, to all the rest of us. So society hires people like me to make sure people like you learn to live by the rules. Now, the very last thing I ever want to see again is your sorry face in the back of my squad car. So I'm going to turn the screws until the light goes on. 
This ticket that I'm giving you means you're going to go before the judge. And the last thing that judge ever wants to see again is your sorry face in her courtroom. So she's going to turn the screws until the light comes on. Now my question to you and the thing you need to decide is this. When is the light going to come on? The choices you make have consequences. The decision you make today in the back seat of this car will determine what your future is going to look like. I love my brother's 30-second civics lesson. Sometimes small changes lead to huge results. A seemingly simple decision in the back seat of a squad car, an act of the will, can set in motion an entirely new beginning, a real change, and it takes on geometric proportions and has a way of altering everything that follows after it. Just think of decisions you've made in your life. It may be a new beginning for those who've joined the church here this morning, a decision to stop drinking finally, a decision to get married. Perhaps you saw the story this week in the news in Florida, a new pedestrian bridge collapsed. It wasn't even in use yet. It was that new. Smashed cars that left six people dead. And a missed phone call by the lead engineer that told of cracks two days before might have averted the tragedy if it had been received. A voicemail was left, but the employee was out of the office and didn't receive it until the day after the collapse. You know, it just seems to me to be a metaphor for so many of us. We know there are cracks in our lives, but we refuse to take them seriously. And then things begin to collapse. Perhaps you remember the book a few years ago, entitled The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. He's a bestseller. He writes in that book, the possibility of sudden change is at the center of the idea of the tipping point. These three characteristics, one, contagiousness. Two, the fact that little causes can have big effects. And three, that change happens not gradually, but at a dramatic moment. These are all the same three principles that define how measles moves through a grade school classroom and how flu attacks every winter. It explains fashion crazes and new technological developments that quickly become common, like cell phones. There's a tipping point. When change becomes exponential. So it brings me to this text this morning. These two Greeks in the story are apparently seeking Jesus and some kind of new direction in life. We don't know much about them. They don't seem to be religious types. They weren't Jewish. They were regarded as foreigners at this festival. And therefore they were probably suspect. Today, it might be like two Palestinians from the Gaza Strip or the West Bank coming to Jerusalem and asking, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So they approach Philip, who has a Greek name, 
and probably spoke Greek, and then he tells Andrew, and together they go and tell Jesus. And that's the last we hear about these two Greeks in the story. All we know is they said, we wish to see Jesus. For some reason, that launches Jesus into this long discourse that begins with, the hour has come. Marks the end of his public ministry in this gospel. It's a tipping point. The hour that has not yet come in the story of the wedding at Canaan several chapters back has now come. And when he taught in the temple in the treasury, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But now here in this passage, the hour has come, and it has something to do with these two Greeks who come in that hour asking, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now that Jesus' support is becoming contagious and extending around the world, the opposition to Jesus intensifies. Look, the whole world has gone after him, said the religious officials. They couldn't prevent his popularity. His political star just kept rising and it was changing the entire political landscape. And there was nothing they could do to reverse it. Those who were closest to him believed Jesus was the one who was foretold by the prophets. But even they had to learn to see things differently. They only saw what they'd been conditioned to see. And Jesus came from a completely different angle. He was not simply a nationalistic phenomenon. He was not, as Pilate would have placed over his head uh, in a few days on the cross, he was not merely king of the Jews. Jesus would be lifted up, and he would draw all people to himself. The Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, the Americans, the Chinese, the Africans, the Taiwanese, the Hispanics, men and women, children, all people would be drawn to him. At the center of faith is a changed perspective. A changed perspective on who Jesus is, a changed perspective on ourselves, and a changed perspective on the world around us. And even the disciples didn't really begin to understand that at all until they saw the resurrected Christ. But Jesus gave his disciples something to believe in. And a light came on. And they risked everything. And they learned that you don't save your life by holding on to it and holding back, you lose it. You don't preserve the peace by avoiding conflict. You just create larger conflicts down the road. You don't go along to get along. You have to stand up for what's right and true. You live with integrity. You don't live avoiding conflict. 
You actually gain your life when you're willing to risk it for something you believe in. What will it profit to gain the whole world and forfeit your life, asks the Lord. A completely different compass that he provided. It pointed towards true north. And people throughout history have described what it's like to have been rescued by him. They too were lifted up and finally found their way home. The light bulb goes on. The human heart turns from self-seeking to the worship of this Lord. You see, real change in life often begins in seemingly insignificant ways. The turning of a human heart. A mere conversation, an honest and open prayer, listening for the Lord of life. All these things have a way of setting life back on course and towards a future. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Is Jesus Christ someone who commands your attention today? Or do you find it easier to merely dismiss him as yet another historical figure without really any enduring significance? Well, maybe it's time to have a real conversation with God. If Malcolm Gladwell is right, change happens not gradually, but at one dramatic moment. You've probably heard the expression that people from time to time have a come-to-Jesus moment. Now maybe it's time for you and me to have one, or another one. I guess the question is for each of us, when is the light bulb going to go on? Let us pray together. O oh Lord, you know all things because you created all things. You know what we are who we are, and what we're struggling with this morning. You know what needs to change in our hearts and lives. You know what will lead to life for each and every one of us. Lord God, we come this morning with a desire for some tipping point to occur in our lives in our families, and in our world. Bring about the change we need and you want. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord. Amen.